Okay. Okay, the story begins. We are on the record. Chapter 46, page 589. This is a beautiful chapter. It really is a romantic chapter. And you'll soon see why. We are discussing the, the, how to develop emotions for God, feelings for God. We're trying to make God real. You know, we don't want to just behaviorally be engaged in this relationship. We want to be present. We want to be fully present. We want to be emotionally engaged. And we're bouncing back and forth from various emotions. We've been speaking a lot about reverence. We spoke a lot about love. Last week, we spoke a lot about compassion, having rachmanas, as we say, a little bit of compassion for the soul, empathizing with uh, the challenge it's going through, the difficulty it's going through, and how um, the, the discomfort it experiences. And that empathy will uh, unlock hidden love. Today, we provide a new meditation to develop love. Love for God. And this is a, you know, we've been giving various meditations. And there's, there's no wrong way. There's no wrong meditation with, out of all the meditations we're giving. You're going to have to find what works for you. And th this is a very practical meditation. Take a look on 589. The first bold paragraph. It's the middle of the page. He says, and there's a straightforward way for a person which is applicable to everybody, right? It's very much within reach of you. And it's easily and effectively implemented to cause the glowing love, which is wedged in your heart and late there to awaken and shine. Everybody can experience love for God. This is applicable. The following meditation is applicable to everybody. Certain meditations are applicable to certain people, depending on how sensitive they are. And depending on their personality, you know, every, there's something else that's going to work for everybody. But this one is pretty much universal. Before we discuss what the meditation is, let's first discuss the effect of the meditation so we know what to expect. Right? Imagine, we don't know what the meditation is, but imagine I did this meditation. This is how you're going to feel. Take a look on the bottom of 589. The last bold paragraph is the bottom paragraph of the page. This method will awaken the love in your heart so that the light shines powerfully as if it were a burning, as if it were a fire burning palpably in your heart and mind. So if we do this meditation properly, we'll experience God emotionally, we'll appreciate him conceptually, we're going to be on fire, we're going to be excited about Judaism, we're going to be excited about our observance because it's a relationship. We're going we're gonna to have a, a real fire. Have you ever hung around somebody who's on fire for their Judaism? Right? It's either really annoying or really inspiring, <laughs> depending on, right? If they're nice people and they're not obnoxious, it's really inspiring. They give you space still. Like, it's very inspiring. It, it almost pulls you in. It's like, I want that. And we can have that. And here's the effect I'm going to have fire. The, uh, third line, last paragraph on the page, end of the line, to devote your soul, your body, and your possessions to God, right? What happens when you love someone? When you're in love, you do crazy things, right? When you're really in love, you have that moment of excitement. You do things that don't make sense. 
And it's no different in our relationship with God. If we feel the love, we're going to devote your soul, your body, your possessions to God. Next page, with all of your heart, your soul, and your might. Does that sound familiar? That's from the Shema prayer. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. This is various levels of love, right? We should love God emotionally. We should love God with our soul, which means even if it, uh, it requires discomfort, emotional discomfort, physical discomfort with all of our might, that's the financial discomfort. Sometimes love pushes us to do things that are uncomfortable. And sometimes, unfortunately, Jewish observance might be uncomfortable. Um, it, it might push, it might be out of our comfort zone. Right? Keeping kosher is not always comfortable. Shabbat is not always comfortable. Charity is not always comfortable. But when you're in love, it, it doesn't really matter. You're, you're willing to, you don't care about the discomfort. You, don't, you might not even notice the discomfort. Right, there's things we do for our spouses that are not comfortable for us, that are not normal, for, that are not. If we were living on, if we were on our own, we wouldn't be doing it, probably, right? But we're going to do it, and we're not even going to complain about it. We're not even going to think twice about it, right? Love makes you do crazy things, and we can be crazy. It's a beautiful thing. If you're crazy, it's beautiful, <laughs> right? If we're crazy about Judaism, it's because you love God. It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, once we didn't get to the meditation yet, but we're talking about the, how it will be experienced when we do that. Imagine now you say the Shema prayer. Imagine how meaningful Shema becomes. Because it's not just a conceptual idea. It, it actually is real. Right? Take a look on 590, the second full paragraph. This method is particularly effective at the time when you recite the Shema and its blessings where we actually devote yourself to God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. So that's an added bonus. The Shema prayer becomes meaningful. The Shema prayer becomes the life. Okay. So now we know what's going to happen at the end of this chapter, right? <laughs> at the end, we're at the end of today's lesson. We know what our goal is. What we're trying to experience, we're trying to get on fire with God. We're trying to, for God. We're trying to get crazy. We're trying to be crazy. We're trying to get a point where we're crazy and we're cool with it because we're in love with God. Okay, how do we get there? What is the meditation that's going to take us there? Right now, to to digress for a little bit, we know this from before, but I think it's important to reiterate it again. Meditation mindset perspective is incredibly uh, powerful. How you feel is very closely associated with how you think and what you think about. Um, very much so. Right, if I, if I tell you good news, but you understood it as bad news. Let's say there was a miscommunication, right? There was a broken telephone and you misunderstood me. How are you going to feel? Right? You're not necessarily going to feel so good. What impacted your feelings was not reality, but your perspective of reality. 
Whereas if you were to get further clarity and clarify what you heard and realize, oh, I misunderstood. There's actually, this is good news. You're going to feel good. So our perspective, even more important than reality is the way we view reality. And hopefully the way we view reality and reality are, are uh, in line. I say reality, I mean, not just scientific reality and not just the observable reality, but the metaphysical reality, the reality of God being the creator and our purpose and meaning in life. Uh, connecting to this, opening our eyes and having the right perspective, the right meditation, the right focus, when we, uh, it, that really shapes the way we feel. So we're about to provide a meditation, which means a meditation is often understood as you know, mindfulness zoning out and, and just clearing our minds. But when we say meditation, we mean something a little bit different. We mean actually focusing our minds, zoning in on something specific. And thinking about something very specific. And we're going to see how this is going to shape our feelings. We're going to see it right in front of our eyes. We're going to, this will be experiential. This is cool. He starts off with a verse from Proverbs. The biblical book of Mishlei, Proverbs, is a, uh, it's a book of basically analogies describing our relationship with God. It was authored by King Solomon. Very interesting book. Um, and, and here's what he says. Please take a look at the middle bold paragraph. It's the third bold par paragraph of the page, 5-9. And the straightforward way to cause the light of love, which is implanted in your heart, latent there to awaken and shine, requires you to take to heart the verse. So have this biblical verse, the following verse that we're about to read, have this in your back pocket. As face reflects face and water, so the heart of man to man. That's what it says in Proverbs. That's what King Solomon in his great wisdom taught us. You look at water and you see your reflection, right? You look at a mirror, you see your reflection. Hearts are reflective as well. What happens when you show love to someone? Well, even if you don't demonstrate the love um, behaviorally, you allow yourself to emotionally experience love for someone, they are going to feel it. I don't know if you could explain this scientifically or even psychologically. It's very interesting. You could try, you could try it at home. Experience love for someone, even without showing it, without saying it, without doing anything to demonstrate it. They are going to feel it. Now, if you demonstrate it, even better, they're for sure going to feel it. Or if you say it, for sure, they're going to feel it. Um, but hearts are, are actually interconnected. One heart and another heart, when they're, they're like a, they're like, they're, they're like cordless portals <laughs> to each other. It, it's a, I, I, I don't know if maybe somebody knows, I don't know if there's a way to psychologically explain it or if there's a way to scientifically explain it. I don't know if it makes any sense, but, but you have to try it. It's incredible. I'll tell you a great story. There was a yeshiva, rabbinical school, yeshiva administration, and the head administrator had to cut one of the staff loose. I don't know what the reason was. Apparently he wasn't performing well or whatever it was. And 
the staff that was cut loose was angry, understandably so. He was fired. In the middle of his job, he was, and he was, he was angry. He was angry at the administrator. The administrator didn't know what to do. He went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he said, what do I do? So and so is angry at me. So what did the Rebbe tell him? Revenge, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Erased <laughs> that from the record. <laughs> what? Sorry, I, I had to say that. Um, <laughs> That's the last thing he would say. <laughs> I know, 100%. What, what did the Rebbe tell him? He told him, this guy's angry at you. Try to love him. Try to love him. He's your brother. He's a Jew. Try to love him. Because he's going to experience that love. He can't be angry at you. It won't work. Because you love him. And love is reflective, just like water is reflective, in, as in King Solomon's verse here. I had a, a buddy, I think I've referenced him before. Um, he, he, he's a fascinating uh, fellow. He didn't realize he was Jewish until age 24. And he was part of a Mexican gang in Los Angeles. And he's been around the block. Now lives in Israel, he's married, has children. And when he first started coming to yeshiva, you know, obviously it was the culture shock of his life, but he used to tell us one thing he learned from the gang or from leaving the gang, when somebody upsets you, you need to kill them with kindness. Just be nice. Love is reflective. It diffuses anger. And for sure, if there was no anger to begin with, it does awaken somebody else's heart. Take a look on 591. Um, it's the third bold paragraph, or really third bold line. This is the natural, instinctive, and automatic behavior pattern of all people. This is natural. This is just the way it is, right? Now, if these two individuals, right, one person shows or um, experiences love, or for sure, if he shows the love to the other individual, the other individual is going to feel it. That's if they are um, of equal stature, social stature, right? What happens if one is of higher stature, social stature? Obviously, deep down inside, we're all the same, but in, in the eyes of the animal soul, you know, some people are quote unquote, more socially important than others, even if that's not reality. But what happens when the person of higher stature shows love toward the person of lower stature? That's even more inspiring, right? He's reaching out to me, right? Take a look on 591. Right under where it says section two, it's the second to last bold paragraph. An automatic mirroring of emotion will occur, even if the two individuals are of equal status, but all the more so will the love evoke love if a great man and influential king demonstrates his abundant and intense love to an ordinary citizen, right? So somebody, a, a colleague, a friend, a regular, um, I'm trying to think of the word here, 
regular acquaintance experiences some sort of love for you, whether it be a social love or romantic love, whatever it is, you're going to feel it, right? You know, though, you know when people care about you, even when they don't show it, you, you can feel it, you sense it, right? Now, imagine, we don't have kings these days, so it's hard to use these analogies, but imagine there was a king. Imagine there was a, I hate to use the word politician because nobody likes politicians, but imagine there was somebody important, right, that people like. <laughs> it could be a politician, it could be a celebrity, it could be somebody important, right? Imagine that individual were to show love for you. Me? Wow. That feels... That, that's like incredible. What would that do to your self-esteem? He cares, he's taking interest in me, right? Now, imagine this important person was showing love, not to a regular person, but to a disheveled homeless person. And the disheveled person knows that they're disheveled. How is that disheveled person gonna feel? It's incredible. Right? The next bold paragraph, the second to last paragraph of the page. All the more so with the love, you, you see where we're getting at here. Hold, just hold on. This is part of the meditation process. And we're going to string it all together in a minute. All the more so will love evoke love if that citizen is disgusting. We mean physically. You know, disheveled, the most lowly of men, as the person Daniel says, disheveled and cast in the garbage. So, if let's put it this way, a regular person goes up to a regular person and demonstrates love or experiences love, they're going to feel it. A king or someone important goes to that regular person, demonstrates love, they're for sure going to feel it. And they're going to feel it to an incredible magnitude. A king goes to a disheveled homeless person who's out on the street and shows him special attention and love. How is that person going to feel? If you had to decide, if you had to describe it with one word, what would that one word be? The word I'm going to choose is speechless, but what, what, what comes to mind? Elated. Okay. Good. Any other thoughts? What would that one word be? Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Okay, good. There's no wrong. There's no there's no wrong answer. Well, sort of. If you're really off, I'll tell you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thankful. Thankful, right? It's it, it's it's almost it's might even be difficult to put in words that experience. Being in awe. Yeah, there is a certain level of awe, right? It, it's an awesome love, and I mean awesome in the literal sense, right? Take a look on 592, the second bold paragraph. And to express his love, right? The king takes it even further. He doesn't just go to the individual and demonstrate love and closeness. He actually brings him out from his homeless tent. I hope I'm not being too un-PC here. He, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we could share this record. No, I'm kidding. He, he, he goes to this, this disheveled individual and he shows him an extra measure of closeness, brings him out of the garbage, cleans him, 
takes him to the palace, allows him into his deepest chambers, where most people aren't even invited to on a regular basis. How is this person going to feel? If you had to describe this feeling with one word, what would it be? Valued. Right? He feels valued. Beforehand, he wasn't necessarily feeling valued. Right? Living on the streets. No home. No possessions. Dirty. Disheveled. Has a hard time respecting himself. And all of a sudden, this king sees something in him that he never saw in himself. How is he going to feel toward that king? Appreciative. Right. Right. If a regular person can experience love from a regular person, for sure, a disheveled person can feel love when showed by a important person, right? Um, take a look on the bottom of 592. Okay, 592, the last bold paragraph, it's a sort of a long paragraph. Now, if love evokes love, even uh, love in even ordinary circumstances between equals, then in this most extreme case, there will definitely awaken spontaneously doubled and redoubled feeling of love in the heart of this ordinary citizen and most lowly of men toward the king's soul, a real soul connection from the heart of the soul, from the, sorry, from the heart and the soul, from the infinite depths of the lowly man's heart, and even if this lowly man's heart is usually insensitive, like a heart of stone, it will surely melt, becoming responsive and fluid like 593, water, and his soul will pour out like it says in Job, like water, and it will really pine with love for the king. So even if this person was a insensitive, or I should say desensitized, unpleasant person, emotionally perhaps emotionally disturbed or emotionally uh just uh apathetic how about emotionally unavailable like has emotionally psycho- unavailable has some That's kind of psychological issues or something right emotionally unavailable emotionally apathetic but the king showed this love right when regular people show each other love you experience it you feel it even metaphysically when a king is going to show love, an important person is going to show love to you know this extreme case, someone very important, to somebody who is quote unquote unimportant. I use that with quotes because the king saw importance in him. He's going, his heart is going to melt. He's going to break through all barriers. Okay, let's apply this meditation to us and God. Imagine we're that disheveled person and God is that king, right? And usually when you hear king, you don't usually associate king with love. You don't love a king, you revere a king. Think think about any book or movie you saw. When do you experience, when do you ever see love and king go hand in hand uh, with a nation, right? Nobody loves the king. You respect the king. You revere the king. Perhaps you hate the king, <laughs> right? Um, even, you know, politics, you either hate the politician or 
you respect them, you don't love them, right? Over here, there's a there's a love because we're this disheveled people, and this king has has showed us an incredible love, an incredible love. Now, just to put this into context, think about how great God is. He's not just a king. He is the creator. He's the king of kings. Which means his monarchy, monarch, monarch or monarchy? Monarchy. Monarchy, okay. There we go. Thank you. So his monarchy is not just a particular city, a particular province, a particular country. His monarchy is not even the world as we know it, but way beyond that. As Kabbalah elaborates the various worlds, the, the various uh, dimensions of perspective, where the angels are housed, where the souls are housed, God is the king everywhere. And the angels all recognize God in addition to us, in addition to the world. So imagine who God rules so much more than what meets the eye. And God says, yeah, I'm ruling an entire existence, not just a universe, but beyond that. But who did I choose to direct my attention toward? Who did I choose to direct my attention toward? Who did God give special attention to historically? Even currently, but just think about historically for a moment. Right? God took us out of Egypt. And what do we, who remembers from the Haggadah? God took us out of Egypt himself, not through an angel. Remember that? Not through a right, not through a messenger, not through the seraph, not through the various messengers. God himself. It's incredible. God is a monarchy, a monarch. He is a ruler of not just an entire world, not just a country, not just a world, not even the universe, but beyond that. Beyond what the what 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 we know as as you know, there's various uh, dimensions of existence, so much more. And he cares about a small group of people in Egypt suffering, and says, "I'm going to take them out, and they're going to have the opportunity to have a relationship with me, just like this king who took out the disheveled person from the from the garbage, and initiated a relationship, brought him into the chamber. God brought us to His chamber. He brought us to to Mount Sinai." Right, take a look on, on 595. Um, it's the second bold paragraph. It's sort of the middle of the page of 595. Starts with, for the blessed Holy One. For the blessed Holy One, God, has disregarded the worship of the upper and lower worlds and chose none of them. Right, God didn't give mitzvahs to the angels in the higher worlds, except to Israel. He gave mitzvahs to the people of Israel, his people. Take a look at the next bold paragraph, a few paragraphs down. He took the Israelites out from Egypt, the land's dep uh, depravity. Am I pronouncing that right? A, a place of spiritual pollution and impurity from their state of being disheveled and cast in the garbage. And the king traveled down himself, not through an angel, not through a fiery angel, not through a messenger. It was a holy one himself of his glory. In his glory, like we say in Nagada, who went down there. As of her states, I shall descend to rescue them. So th think about that for a moment. This is uh, an incredible meditation. I think about the parallel here. You have this disheveled homeless person. 
and an important king shows him special attention, even more than that, takes him out and welcomes him to the palace, to his chambers, where not everybody's where even uh, ministers and noble people are not necessarily invited. And he shows them an extra measure of closeness, intimate closeness, right? How is this disheveled person going to feel? Overwhelmed with love. His heart's going to melt, even if he has a heart of stone. We are that disheveled person. And God is that king, but, but the extremes are even greater polarized. Because God is a king not only of the war, of, of the world, but of, of existence. He's the creator of existence. And he himself took interest, took us out of Egypt. He himself uh, brought us to his chamber to Mount Sinai. And he really, um, you know what God wanted to do? What did God do at Mount Sinai? He married us. Right? God married us. The, the, uh, the tablets with the Ten Commandments, that was like the ketubah. His obligations toward us, a ketubah, um, a marriage document. The essence of a ketubah is basically the husband's obligations toward a wife, the obligations of the marriage. That's what the Ten Commandments are. That's what the mitzvahs are. So God said, "I'm." God wanted to be intimate with us. And take a look on five ninety six, top of the page. God took the Israelites out of Egypt to bring them close to him in an intimate and genuine union, a union which connects profoundly with the soul, like the Song of Songs, King Solomon's uh, book depicting the relationship with God, depicts this union as a mouth-to-mouth kiss. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. God kissed us. Take a look at the next paragraph. This kiss referring to the intimate union with God when a person speaks the word of God, which is halacha, when you study Torah. You're having an intimate kiss with God and emerging a spirit with spirit as the Zohar calls it through understanding the Torah, knowing his wisdom, which are totally one with him. If you want to give God a kiss, study his Torah. If you want to give God a hug or you want him to give you a hug, do a mitzvah, a physical observance, right? Take a look at the next bold paragraph, third bold paragraph of the page. And also we have the intimate union with God depicted as hugging through observing the practical mitzvahs. Right, the two with our two hundred forty-eight um, bodily parts. Since the two hundred forty-eight commands are are the two hundred forty-eight limbs of the king, we have two hundred forty-eight um, organs or limbs. The there are two hundred forty-eight positive mitzvahs. Out of the six thirteen, there's two hundred forty-eight dues. Those two hundred forty-eight dues are God's limbs. When we do a mitzvah, God is embracing us. When we study Torah, God is kissing us. God wants this intimate relationship. What does he see in us? He sees something in us that we don't. He really values us. Let's try this meditation. We're going to do it for homework, but let's try it right now in class. (laughs) Then we'll we'll assign it for homework. But try it for a moment. You can close your eyes or open them, whatever you want. But let, let's go through this in our mind. Let's go through this process because this is really important. Somebody shows you love, whether they demonstrate it or even if they just experience it, ask yourself, how am I going to feel? Feels good, right? What does that love feel like? Okay. Imagine somebody important, somebody of uh, who you perceived to be out of your league 
shows love to you, shows closeness to you, values you. Imagine what that's going to do to your self-esteem. Okay, let's take it a step further. I am disheveled, right? We have parts of our lives that make us somewhat disheveled. We all have our various challenges, issues, baggages, parts of our lives that we're not proud of necessarily, parts of our lives that we wouldn't brag about. And we're still valued by this important person, by this important king, right? Now imagine this important king is essentially important. There's nothing that makes him important. He's not just important because people value him. He's essentially important because he created people. You know, the, the king of all kings, God. In other words, there's no measure to how important he is. And he decided to take me out of Egypt. He decided to value me. He decided that he wanted an intimate relationship with me despite the um, baggage and parts of my life that I'm not proud of, despite, despite me going through Egypt, despite what I went through in life whether we mean historical Egypt or our own love, uh, various Egypts. And he says, I want to embrace you. God says, I want to give you a kiss. And he says, study my Torah. I want to give you a hug, do a mitzvah. How are we going to feel after that? How are we going to feel after that? What this meditation does is opens up our eyes to an existent relationship. It puts Torah and mitzvah observance in the context of a relationship. All the Torah and mitzvahs, the obser Jewish observance is a product of a relationship. It's not that, well, God love me if I don't do a mitzvah. Like, what do I need to do a mitzvah? No, no. God loves you, so do the mitzvah. He wants to embrace you. It's not that, oh, do the mitzvah, otherwise God might not love you. <laughs> or don't sin, otherwise God might punish you or might not value. No, no, God, values, God does value you. He took you out of Egypt and he continues to, to save you and to take you out of your hardships. He continues to embrace you. He continues to need to, to, to value you. Therefore, allow him to physically embrace you by doing the mitzvah. Allow him to physically show affection through studying his word, through studying his Torah. We're just opening our eyes to the relationship and putting Torah mitzvahs in the context of relationships. This is a powerful meditation. And I, I want to suggest it's something we reflect on over the next week till the next, next class. In the morning before we pray, take a few minutes and think about this. Before starting our morning prayers, before starting our morning davening, or even just in the morning thinking about this, before doing a mitzvah, think about this, before lighting the Shabbat candles, go through this meditation because it's going to make a mitzvah so much more meaningful. When I'm doing this mitzvah, I'm embracing God, he's embracing me, there's a deep, powerful relationship here and we just need to open our eyes to it. It's so easy to miss it. It's so easy to, to live a whole entire life and miss it because there's so many distractions in life and we're, you know, we're born into like the animal soul perspective. Let's open our eyes. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.